0: What Mad Universe is part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What Mad Universe encompasses such tales as these... So habits made their first incursions into the new terrain, like bacteria into rock, followed by procedures, protocols, a whole fell field of social discourse, on its way to the climax forest of law. Nadia saw that people, some people, were indeed coming to her to resolve arguments, deferring to her judgment. She might not have been in control, but she was close to control as they had. The universal solvent, as Art called her, or General Nadia, as Maya said nastily over the wrist, which only made Nadia shudder, as Maya knew it would. Nadia preferred something she had heard Sax say over the wrist to his faithful gang of techs. All young Saxes in the making. Nadia's the designated arbitrator. Talk to her about it. Thus, the power of names. Arbitrator, rather than general. In charge of negotiating what Art was calling the phase change. She had heard him use the term in the midst of a long interview on Mangalavid. With that deadpan expression of his that made it very hard to tell if he was joking or not. Oh, I don't think it's really a revolution we're seeing, no. It's a perfectly natural next step here. So it's more a kind of evolutionary or developmental thing, or what in physics they call a phase change. His subsequent comments indicated to Nadia that he did not in fact know what a phase change was, but she did, and she found the concept intriguing. Vaporization of Terran authority, condensation of local power, the thaw finally come. However you want to think about it, melting occurred when the thermal energy of particles was great enough to overcome the intercrystalline forces that held them in position. So if you considered the Metanat order as the crystalline structure... But then it made a huge difference whether the forces holding it together were interionic or intermolecular. Sodium chloride, interionic, melted at 801 centigrade. Methane, intermolecular, at negative 183 degrees centigrade. What kind of forces then, and how high the temperature? At this point, the analogy itself melted. But names were powerful in the human mind, no doubt about it. Phase change, integrated pest management, selective disemployment. She preferred them all to the old deadly notion, revolution. And she was glad they were all in circulation, on Mangalavid and on the streets. Hi there. I'm Adam Prosser. With me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. Welcome to What Mad Universe, the podcast about pulp fiction and the history of science fiction. Um, Today we're looking at a a pretty major uh, uh, sequence of stories by Kim Stanley Robinson uh, the red, the, the, the Mars, it's usually just called the Mars trilogy, the colors of Mars, red Mars, green Mars, blue Mars. Um, it won the Hugo award. Uh, I think it's the green, green, Mars that won the Hugo award, but also possibly the entire series. I'm not sure. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of the go-to, uh, books about like a realistic hard sci-fi look at what it might be like to terraform Mars. We'll get right into it as soon as we're back from this message.
1: And we're back with another great episode of...
0: Hold your horses, mister. This is a commercial for our show, Nasty Lamps. Uh, not the actual show. You mean to
1: tell me. This is a commercial for our bi-weekly show from game studio, Chuhai High Labs, where we talk about games, game dev, Japan, and whatever else comes up.
0: Yep, and it stars me, Kinsey Burke. And also it has my uh, junior co-host, Mark Lentz. Sup, though? So catch brand new episodes twice monthly for only three easy payments of four twenty sixty
1: nine. That doesn't make
0: sense. Nasty Labs only on the Tokyo Beat Network. Okay, we're back. Um, so yeah, these uh, books were written in the nineties by Kim Stanley Robinson, who uh, I didn't find out that much about uh but he is uh apparently an environmental activist uh which does come through in the books and uh it's it is as they say very hard sci-fi um and um so uh phil do you know anything philip do you know anything about these uh these books at all have you heard anything about them yeah no um i'd always heard of say i started reading uh analog which used to be called astounding in the 90s right about this time when these books were coming out so i saw lots of ads for them uh they were very heavily promoted and again uh because it's uh analog leaned towards it's the you know the former astounding it was very uh leaned very heavily towards hard sci-fi um, um so you know the hard sci-fi nerds really like this one they were they were they were <laughs> very uh you know, enthusiastic about this as, and I mean, I think that's a fairly you know, it's become a whole discussion nowadays, and that's actually something I'd like to get into about how like, oh, it's not hard sci-fi, it's not real sci-fi, and blah 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 blah. And that was that that's always been a huge thing in the sci-fi in sci-fi circles. Um, I I want to say, and I think I've I think we've talked about this a little bit with the hard sci-fi versus quote soft sci-fi thing. Um, it, it is actually. I think hard sci-fi really does have a place. I think it's really interesting. I think there's, I think there's been a bit of a backlash to hard sci-fi because the people who talk about it like it's the only type of sci-fi get really obnoxious about it, right? Um, but I think it really does have a place because it's a good, it's actually a good way to explore character and 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 actually politics, and that. So that's the great irony here is that you know we talk about how there's people who would be like, oh, don't get politics in my sci-fi, but this story is very heavily about politics like it's about how the technical and and uh, world building aspects literally world building in this case um affect the politics of the world and it has a very um like it it does seem to slant heavily to the left uh in terms of like but an optimistic view of the le- of of leftist uh movement forward uh for society that is brought about partly by science and technology uh which is you know that has a certain logic uh given where you know history was in the 90s with the recent collapse of the soviet union and the end of the cold war and generally a lot of optimism i would say um and this has this reflects a lot of optimism even though there's turmoil and upheaval and stuff throughout it um do, wh- like you you do, 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 how do you feel about the, the whole hard sci-fi soft sci-fi thing you do, do what are um, your thoughts on that
1: i mean uh my my uh, preferences for soft sci-fi just cuz it's often more uh um, I like the ridiculousness of just uh basically treating it like fantasy I suppose um but that's just my preference usually um I I agree hard sci-fi absolutely has its place and for all the reasons you discussed uh it's it's funny that a lot of the people you know keep my keep politics out of my science fiction will you know like uh John Crichton wrote a whole book about how uh, global warming's a fraud and stuff. Right. And Michael it, Crichton you mean? Not uh, sorry. Not John. not the John. not the Farscape guy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I have been <laughs> I've been rewatching Farscape so that's on my
0: mind. Uh- <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, if uh, he uh, do we did we ever find out if John Crichton is named after Michael Crichton? Is that actually a thing? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Anyway, but yeah, no, exactly. Michael Crichton was like very political. He was you know conservatively political, and he was quote hard sci-fi. Although I'm not sure he actually. I know a lot of scientists critiqued his work. In general as well uh,
1: absolutely yes uh particularly I like mean, global warming book
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean he did get a reputation initially as a hard sci-fi writer um and um like he did do the research early on uh to a certain degree and then he kind of went off the rails um but um yeah i mean it's it's um like i think with pulpier sci-fi and or or more new wave type sci-fi or fantastical sci-fi it actually does open the door for more uh, philosophical explorations and like strange, like, like you can explore big ideas because you're not constrained by like what is plausible and what's realistic. Um, But you can explore a different set of ideas with hard sci-fi because you can say sort of, well, how would human society uh, evolve? How would people evolve? What would, how would culture evolve even which is all these are all questions that these book books ask um so just to get into it quickly it's it and it's funny because this is these books are each in my versions they're uh, like 700 pages each they're these massive things but there's not actually a lot of plot it's really interesting um like he's very very devoted to like here's how the terraforming of Mars plays out and how the building of the culture of Mars plays out. Like he's, you know, when when you really break down the actual story and plot, uh, like you could constrain it all into like a short-ish novel of its own. Um, In particular, the last book doesn't have a ton of conflict in some ways, although it becomes much more of a personal journey, which is interesting. Again, since given how we're framing Hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi. Um, basically, so it it starts well. There's a flash forward at the beginning with uh, John Boone getting murdered. John Boone is the first man on Mars uh, in this in this time frame uh, in this future. Although it's it even starts with uh, like time frames that we <laughs> currently exist in uh so um like it's not even the future it's it's definitely an alternate timeline at this point uh it starts with john boone getting murdered so he was the he's this very optimistic sort of idealized uh square-jawed action hero uh you know space hero guy and he's but more than that he's the guy everyone looks to as a pinnacle of optimism and the guy who's going to lead us forward into the future um and uh we see him getting murdered in on mars uh, but like significantly further. And then we flash back um, to, uh, so he, like there was an expeditionary force on Mars. There were a couple landings, but the real story begins with um, the colonization, the first real colonization project called the First Hundred, which is 2027 <laughs> is when that's launched uh, towards Mars as a, a, a US slash Russian expeditionary force, although there's people of all nations on board. Um, there's a hundred people it turns out there's a stowaway on board Uh, so there's 101 people but um, um, yeah there's a hundred colonists and they're very significant characters Um, yeah and they land on Mars they create a a colony called Underhill they have robots that build labor and uh, so both uh, NASA and, and Russia and the other, uh, countries all start sending lots and lots of, uh, supplies and further people. And there's, uh, you know, quickly there are colonies build up and actually, you know, and, and the first book spans like 50 years, I think. Um, it goes up to 2061. Um, so yeah, a little, little over, actually only a little over 30, Thirty to forty years, um, and uh, you know, and, and you see Mars really build up into this heavily settled uh, colony world. There's like um, one of the big things they do is they put tents over uh, ca- canyons and craters uh, in order to create a like an oxygen suitable environment, um, and we do start to get this uh, initial uh, tension. Uh, mostly uh, led by a woman named Anne Claiborne, who becomes a very important character. She actually, she's one of two characters who sort of sneakily becomes the protagonist of the entire series, Uh, who becomes very devoted to the idea of just leaving Mars as it is and not terraforming it, uh, which is kind of a losing proposition in the story that they're telling here because you know mars is going to get terraformed but she gets more and more strongly devoted to the idea of just leaving mars as it is and not changing it meanwhile there's a, a guy called saxifrage russell um who is a uh uh who's he's devoted to he's the the most um uh terrafo- he's he's the most scientifically uh, advanced terraformer uh he wants to build um um uh He wants to change Mars into a, you know, habitable planet, obviously. And he's very devoted to this. And, uh, they both make an argument. They both have one big argument on the ship where, where, uh, Anne talks about how important it is not to just come in and with our human attitudes towards everything. And Sax has his, he's called Sax, uh, has his, uh, argument that like, well, we're the eyes and ears of the universe. And for us to witness things and to change things, like we, it's, it's our duty to go out and, and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and, and spread human consciousness throughout the galaxy, which is an a- idea we now see advanced by some real jerkasses in our world right now. Um, but it's a you know it's somewhat of a of a, a laudable goal you know as framed in this storyline. Um, yeah. So the, and then there's John Boone, who isn't actually the leader, but he kind of falls into a leadership position. There's Frank Chalmers, who is the actual leader, uh, and he's just a pr- constant cynic he's constantly angry uh I guess you could say he's angry about Skinner (laughs) yeah well kind of yeah no he's 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 the um you know he well yeah he doesn't like he he's he doesn't come from a position of authority though that's the funny thing like he's the administrator and uh he's very you know he's perpetually angry at, at like John kind of stealing his thunder. And in fact, there's a love triangle between the two of them and a woman named uh, Maya Totoivna, who one of the Russian women, and she's one of the main characters as well. And she's like she literally sort of admits, yeah, I played them off each other. That's how you have to get ahead in the in the Russian and now post Soviet um, space program or in the 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 uh, you know political organization. You had to sort of use your abilities as a woman and, and manipulate your way to the top, basically. So she's quite openly says in her, in the parts that are in her mind, because it, the, the story is told from various, like it keeps shifting the points of view of which character we're listening to. Uh, and she just talks about how she played them off against each other, but she really did love, um, Frank, uh, in most ways, but he was always very angry and bitter and hard to be around. So she'd go over to John a lot of the time. And, um, and, and, in fact she blames herself for because john's eventual murder was probably frank manipulating um some of the local uh actually muslim uh, settlers from the middle east uh with the idea that he was going to argue to get them thrown off of mars which he wasn't but uh because they believed that they they a gang of muslims murdered him but it, frank kind of whipped them up into a frenzy and maya kind of is the one who turned Frank against John. So she feels guilty about it for the rest of the series, basically. Um, Frank does eventually redeem himself. But anyway, um, uh, just to finish off the the, the characters, um, there's a character named Phyllis who is kind of the embodiment of... The, the characters on that first ship kind of embody different ideologies and different aspects. Uh, Phyllis is kind of... She kind of embodies the capitalist, national corporate attitude because she ends up running... One of the corporate uh, interests on Mars. Um, there's uh, Hiroko, who's uh, the Japanese uh, biologist, uh, and she ends up playing a huge role. She ends up being almost a, a mythic figure to the people as they settle on Mars because the culture starts to develop in ways that lionize the first the first hundred, as they're called. Um, and she ends up building a secret enclave uh, that's really meant to evolve in new ways. Uh, get to her in a little in a little bit. Uh, but she's, you know, she's the mother goddess of Mars, they end up calling her. And um, there's uh, one other guy who's, as I said, there's a stowaway that Hiroko snook on board named uh, Desmond, but everyone calls him Coyote, uh, Trinidadian, I believe, uh, guy, and he's sort of, um, he's like an anarchist, and he's, he's more than any of the others. They all kind of establish, even on the trip over to Mars, this idea of we're going to build a new society on Mars. It's not just going to be... Yeah, we're all scientists, but we're going to build a legitimately new society. It's going to be different. Oh, sorry, there's one other guy named Arkady Bogdanov, who's uh, Arkady Bogdanov, uh, who is, and he's like one of the big go-to, like, yeah, build a new society right from the start. He's like, this never mind the science. We're doing the science stuff, but we're also going to create a new world, and it's going to have a better society, and we're going to do better than Earth did. At, at a time when the other people on this ship are kind of like, well, we're just here to do science and build a colony. And he's like, yeah, but it's a new planet. It's a new culture. We have a chance to not repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's get at it basically to the point where he basically admi- admits he lied on his psychological profile and that he was going to be a guy who would, um, you know, <laughs> that, that he was there partly to do this, to build a new society yeah. basically. Oh, and there's a woman named Nadia, one of the Russians, and she's becomes more important later. Um, like that's the main team that we meet, uh, in the first hundred. um, but yeah, it's got like they've got all these opinions and ideologies of this new world that they're going to be building. And that's and, and it's funny because, like, for a long stretch, it's here's the science, here's what we're doing, here's how we're building it. Then it starts to become like, okay, the different cities and I guess nations, because it's a whole planet, even though it's a small planet, uh, each develop their own societies and their own ideas and their own ideologies. And you start to see cultures start to firm up, especially in the second book. Um in the meantime, the transnational corporations, transnats, which become meta Nats by the second book, which is to say, um, like giant, like world running corporations, uh, who have basically completely taken over the political system. Like there's no nationalities anymore because well there are, but they it's all just a pose. What it really is is you know, the country, the companies, uh, running everything. The UN has a bit of power that gets chipped away, and finally they, they establish their own world court, uh, and that, that basically rubber stamps everything the meta nationals want to do. Um, so you can see Earth kind of go sliding into a, 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 a real mess as it goes, um, because the, the capitalism is just running more and more amok. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not as strongly like anti-capitalism as you might think, but it definitely like the overall pitch is like capitalism <laughs> is messing up earth and we got to get off it. Um, that's sort of the, the outlay, mostly, most of the first book. Um, and then it climaxes with 2061 when there are, uh, they, they try to form a constitution on Mars to like establish what com- companies can come. Uh, what countries can come and how much control the companies will have? They build a space elevator, um, and um, which helps them easily mine Mars. And people start to realize, like, oh, they're just going to exploit Mars the way they've exploited Earth, and it's going to be we're going to be totally under corporate control if we don't do something. So, like, a minor revolution breaks out. Uh, the space elevator is destroyed. It falls and like literally lands and wraps all the way around mars if you don't know what a space elevator is it means literally like a cable going all the way up into orbit that they can use to transport goods easier than like building rockets basically anyway this this gets destroyed and it falls and it literally wraps around the entire planet uh like the equator is girdled by this fallen space elevator um and like yeah the cities burst into riots there's this huge transgression and um a bunch of the dams that they've been building burst and, 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 uh, like they've been trying to melt the ice caps and there's a huge flood, uh, caused by people setting off explosions. And so the climax of the first book is them trying to like, um, Frank and, and, uh, Frank and Anne and Maya and a few others trying to lead a sort of a, a a group through the wilderness that's now suddenly flooding in through this maze of canyons and lead them to survival. And Frank actually dies. Um, he's uh Frank actually dies he's he's uh he's killed heroically saving them all basically so he kind of redeems himself in that way um and they end up getting to the secret world under the south pole that Hiroko has built where she's started her own like weird colony with like growing stuff in bamboo but it's hidden under the ice cap so nobody can find them basically and she started like she was she was getting herself pregnant even on the way in um and now she's like cloning people and and actually kind of without their consent took some of their genetic material and was cloning them and stuff so a lot of people get angry at her about that um but they she started her own little colony that's the first of like okay this is going to be a new society it's not just going to be earth colonies on mars um and that's where the second book starts basically but um like yeah anyway sorry i so that's the first book i've been talking a lot do you have any thoughts uh <laughs> philip any questions on what what i've been talking about
1: um uh what what uh, happened with the uh anarchist character you were talking about
0: okay well he's very ambiguous in the first movie uh, in the first book uh, like he's 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 a very sh- he's, he's he's people keep seeing like Oh, I saw a glimpse of someone. Is there someone else on board? Someone sees he sees someone talking to Hiroko. We never get Hiroko's point of view. I actually think this is a flaw in the series: is that Hiroko, and you know she's Asian, she gets very like exoticized for that reason, and very othered as this weirdo. Um, and she smuggled Desmond on board, uh, Coyote, as he becomes known. He's not a major character in the first book. He's just sort of a like he represents sort of a lingering possibility. That's hanging over the whole series. Like, it's like, oh, there's a guy out there, and he's got weird ideas, and he's and it like they start to build up their own sort of mythos especially in the second book like because mars becomes its own society and its own culture and it's like oh yeah there was a stowaway on board and some people are like that's ridiculous it's just myth like for instance they start talking about mars being crafted by quote big man who is like whenever there's like a, a <coughs> like a, a canyon it's like well big man made that because he sat down you know it's a, a paul bunyan kind of figure um in fact they they tell myths about how he fought paul bunyan because he was ten times bigger than Paul Bunyan when he landed on Mars um, millions of years ago, and that he made all the landscape of Mars. Um, so Coyote kind of gets folded into the myth of that, but he's definitely real. And we start to meet him in the second book because uh, Hiroko uh, had a child with him, and that's Nirgal, um, who's a main character for a big part of the second book and the third book. Uh, and he's kind of he kind of represents the new life on Mars, the new the new world of Mars. He's like he's the new generation of Mar- martians essentially um they actually use uh, hiroko's and thus japanese phrases for like the different generations uh i can't remember what's what like there's yonsai isai Shansi, and it's like if you're a first second or third generation mars person uh by the way they also build um, they also create a new they like the Martians are sort of it's a very scientific culture, so they're sort of shooting ahead of Earth on a lot of things and they develop a way to enhance everyone's uh, longevity uh, by fiddling with their genes uh, so the characters start to live a couple like they're they're by the end of the second book they're uh, the the first hundred characters are like well over a century old um and there are still problems they are starting to develop mental problems like they're they're getting senescent a bit uh but otherwise they're and they look old, but they're like they're living over a hundred years so they're they're actually getting to witness um their uh, timeline evolving and uh yeah, so coyote's whole thing is that he's he becomes sort of the 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 network of the underground that starts to develop on on Mars after the big uh two thousand sixty one revolution which is fail it fails. Uh, but uh, and so the transnats and as they become metanats, nats send uh, troops down, but they they mostly occupy certain parts of the of Mars. Uh, meanwhile, the southern pole, the southern polar regions, become like home to the underworld. But nobody's really sure who's out there, whether they're involved. Uh, they start hunting the first hundred rightly or wrongly they believe oh yeah those are the the, the ringleaders of, of resistance and we need to get them under control so that we can mine mars properly and exploit its resources um but they kind of melt into the background and because things are running okay for the transnationals the metanationals um things kind of slow down a bit at the under and uh, all these different ideologies and 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 societies start to develop... Not not just societies, but, like, movements. So, um, like, Arcady is actually killed in 2061, but his... You know, his... He... he, he People... He he has followers who become known as the Bogdanovits, and they're the sort of, yeah, we're going to build a new Martian society. Uh, Anne inspires a group called the Reds, like the Reds and the Greens, which is to say the Reds who want Mars not to be terraformed, and the Greens who do. Um, it's... Although it's a little, like... It's being terraformed to a certain extent, even just by humans being there. Uh, but I think it's sort of the idea that like she'd be okay with them just living in the cities, uh, whereas the, the greens are trying to actually they, they start um, planting lichens, which leads to alpine meadows and genetically engineered uh, um, uh, vegetation uh animals can't exist for a while because the co2 levels are too high but they start to slowly uh increase the temperature um you know all the the floods i talked about freeze instantly but like they're getting to the point where they're starting to melt under pressure meanwhile people are you know starting to form weird societies and caves there's one that's like neo-minoan uh as in the island of minos in in greece um where they want to form a matriarchal culture and they want to try to recreate what they believe the Minoan culture was. But then there's also just much more, quote, normal, like, American 21st century societies in the in the big cities. Um, and while we, we hear all this, like, Earth is starting to get kind of, it's going to pot a bit because... Um, uh the partly because of this uh, treatment that lets people live longer because of course only the rich people get it uh and like a big chunk of the poor people on earth are like we'd like to live forever too please and they don't get it because you know and their, their argument is well the population will get out of control if we don't if we let people live forever with this treatment but of course again as they predict like all the the, the richest people are going to get it and the the poorest people aren't um and that leads to a leadership crisis too where the old people uh uh, stay in power forever and like the young then like if you're born a generation too late you know ne- you're never going to be in power because these people are just living not forever like they are not technically immortal but like for a century these people are in power right and there's nothing uh, that these can dislodge crazy them
1: sci-fi <laughs> yeah <worlds> with <laughs> old people just hanging on to power
0: yeah would never happen i mean it's a crazy concept um but yeah exactly I, I mean so that's the like that's a good example of the kind of thing Robinson's thinking about here right like he's he's thinking about how this would impact our societies in different ways um, um, yeah sorry did you uh, again I know I'm bab- I'm the one who read these so uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going no, no, on and on um, about it but um, fair yeah. enough
1: I, I, I yeah.
0: yeah like um, yeah any any other any things I wasn't clear about or questions or anything uh,
1: nope uh, so that's the second book
0: yeah this is the second book well the second book again both of the first two books build up to a revolution although the first book is a little more focused like it's clear in the first book even as it's happening that this is kind of failed revolution and it's a bit disastrous so it's more about just surviving the aftermath in the first one uh the second one has a very cool uh climax because um so one of the biggest cities on mars is called burrows um ha 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 and yeah. there's also a uh, there's also a clark station and uh, a lot of shout outs to former and there's a bradbury city um so there's lots of shout outs to for- people who've written about mars um and um
1: is there a wine bomb?
0: Uh, There isn't actually. uh, He's a bit too obscure, I guess, for most people. Um, And also, I mean, realistically, really be
1: remembered in the future. Yeah, I I don't know. I I really like his stories, but yeah,
0: like like Robinson could have shouted out to it. But I think if you're talking about like the people who established Mars are deliberately shouting out to well-known Martian writers, he'd be a bit obscure for the scientists. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, But um, there's. um, but oh, any yeah, references
1: things, to David Bowie.
0: <laughs> um they he says life on Mars a lot, uh okay. basically. Um, uh, but because
1: there's a Doctor Who episode where it's like the the near future and that's now the past, but there was a Martian base called Bowie Base 1. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um there if there are there pretty subtle uh i, I it, it's actually worth noting david bowie wasn't as popular in the 90s <laughs> as he had been like it's he kind of had a bit of a renaissance towards the end of the 90s before these uh after these came out um but i mean i i i feel like he's nodding to it by just saying life on mars but it's that's very subtle um by the way i forgot to mention a uh, hiroko has kind of a a, a a statement she says in japanese which is ga nai." Which means um, nothing you can do about it, or it cannot be avoided. Um, so basically, like we're we're stuck doing it this way, um, and uh, that becomes that's literally one of the, the major segment names, Shigataganai, at the end of the first book. Um, but yeah, it's it's like it does start to talk more and more about social engineering. Anyway, so um, like as they get to the second. Book. Okay, so there is, like, the second book probably has the most plot. Um, And it's interesting, Sax Russell becomes one of the major characters. Um, And, like I say, he's this very detached scientific guy, and he wants to terraform Mars. That's the extent, at first, of his political viewpoints. He just wants to change the world into a a habitable world, Um, which puts him in conflict with Anne a a lot. Um, But they're sort of friendly rivalry for the most part, except it does start to go darker as the series goes on um because they become the head of political movements but um Sachs, um like um ends up uh with the underground in the polar ice cap they give him uh and he's like well i want to continue the terraforming work um and they're and he sees about what the metanats are doing and he's kind of like there's this is they're doing it the wrong way they want to do it a certain way." Uh, and he and he realizes it's partly to keep people under control, right? Like so, basically, what they want to do is boost the CO two levels really high, which will increase the temperature, but it'll make the atmosphere unbreathable until they scrub the CO two, which is a big project. And they're talking literally about hundreds of years, which is funny to think of a corporation thinking in those terms. But that, but the thing is, of course, it lets them stay, keep everything, uh, like everyone gets stuck into the cities. Uh, because they can't go out you can't just like set up your own i mean you can but it's a lot harder to set up your own uh inhabited uh, inhabited uh city or habitation um because you're you're and you're even so you're still dependent on materials which are coming to mars constantly but like they control the flow of goods and services to mars so it's a method of control and Sachs doesn't really care so much about that but he goes oh i want the world to be terraformed um um, and they're not doing it the right way so he gets a uh surgery he gets a plastic surgery to, ha- to adopt a new person a uh, new uh face uh he goes out among the the cities and um he uh, starts working on like heavy like secret terraforming stuff he ends up meeting up with a guy named uh, uh art uh uh, I forget his last name. Art Rogers, I want to say, um, and he uh, becomes who is actually a representative of one of the meta nats, but supposedly one of the good meta nats. And this is where the the you know like it it's a little uh, boy. It didn't age well. Um, there's one meta nat run by uh, called Praxis. And the owner is actually like a tech visionary type of guy. And he's like, well, we've got to really help Mars become a new society and blah, blah, blah. And he's, so he's a good guy. Um, in it's to its credit, like a lot of the characters do not trust him and, maybe they're right not to but he d- he never like betrays them openly or anything but it's sort of he has one vision of he's still kind of seeing a vision of capitalism but one that'll set people free and it'll be democratic and it'll be positive and so forth um uh, and he his-
1: doesn't uh, buy up the social media network and <laughs> he- turn it all nazi
0: he probably does. Well, not the Nazi part, but yes, um, yeah, exactly. Like he's he's um, it's it's the idea because it's important to remember in the '90s. Like we thought that the the big tech Silicon people were very lefty, and they were like forging a new form of capitalism that was gonna like uh, that was gonna you know change the world in positive ways, and you know like Musk kind of rode that train to success. He was he was a bit of a late adopter honestly. Um and the and people like Teal as well. They kind of there was a group that really did seem to be devoted to that and they they never quite took off the way that the, the the people who are super rich nowadays and who uh who are saying, "Yeah, we're going to build uh, electric cars. Uh, just give me all the money and I'll waste it and you know, like that's it 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 built the the image was built in the '90s, but now the the reality is built now uh, of going to Mars and and you know saving the environment, and everything like that. Um, and so there's a tension there. Now again, like to Robinson's credit, he doesn't say this guy. Oh, this guy saves everything. Like he's just a useful tool for them to a certain degree, but he's not actually malign. Um, so you know you can say it's a bit naive on his part, or you can say like. You know, they do manipulate him to such a degree that, like, they get, they force him into a corner uh, by taking over the the planet to a certain extent. But, like, it, we're never, he, we don't get to know this guy very well anyway, so it's a little hard to say. Um, like, but generally, he's a positive influence. Um, and he starts helping Sax, you know, terraform the planet the way he wants to. Um, so, one of the big plot points in this is that Sax actually gets caught. Uh, by Phyllis, uh, because we learned Phyllis is, again, like I say, she's handling the Meta-nat, uh concerns on Mars. Um, he gets caught, and he uh, gets taken away, and they say, what's happening to him? And it's like, oh, he's being tortured. And they're like, no, well, they wouldn't do that. They're, they're this, and they've got to maintain their... And people like Nurgal are like, no, he's he's being tortured. Definitely tortured. we got to get him free. So they actually lead a, com- uh, a raid to uh, uh, set him free, which succeeds and what they were like i mean what they're doing is they're hooking stuff into his brain to extract information which does do brain damage so it absolutely is torture but they're arguing oh no it's not really torture blah 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 um anyway they bust him out and Sax uh has to go some uh, radical uh surgery and therapy to, to re actually literally regrow parts of his brain and like he, he develops kind of aphasia like he can't talk for a while uh so he has to he, you know they have to use their medical science to sort of regenerate his brain a bit and it's you know it's a very heavy duty metaphor for the fact that you know he's now shifted to become a more political guy um because of what he went through basically Um, all he all he wanted to do was terraform mars and suddenly he's like you know he's been the the pure victim of imperialist violence basically um so what happens is that like they start they all start discussing and planning for an actual uh, independence movement which some people say want it to be really violent and some people are like well we want to avoid violence and blah 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 you know there's there's a there's the equivalent of like a continental congress at one point where they all discuss their ideas of what they want and at this point there's all these different societies and cities and nations and they all have and movements and they all have different ideas but they say oh yeah we all have to sort of agree on a bill of rights but otherwise live the way you want to live um, which becomes a recurring theme um desmond is very like he's very cynical about the possibilities you know he believes there shouldn't be even a you know even this kind of ramshackle government he thinks everyone should do what they want to do but at the same time you know he knows they have to fight the metanats um so they do have what happens on earth the thing that kicks it off is actually a big chunk of the antarctic ice shelf falls off uh into this into the sea and melts causing sea levels to rise very rapidly Um, and that creates, like, chaos among the metanationals. A bunch of people on Earth start striking back against the metanats, and that's when they realize, oh, it's our time. Um, So there's, like, another much more organized revolution on Mars. This is about in the 2100s. I think it's 2110 about this time. Um, No, 2120. And so this occupies the end of the second book and the beginning of the third book, where they're really like, okay, we got to do this right. And it deals with what I always find interesting the fact that suddenly, like, there's suddenly the factions are kind of fighting each other because one group is like, well, we're going to do it this way. And in this case, the Reds say they want to, like, okay, now we can destroy all the terraforming stuff. And they're like, no, 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 we want that terraforming stuff because that's how, you know, Mars is going to turn into a habitable world, which we won't need Earth for. And they're like, no, we're destroying the. T-. So they actually. Um, they they take over a dike that's been holding back a bunch of water uh they mine it um and they're doing it as a threat they're actually not planning to blow up the dike but um then uh the transnat the metanat uh enforcers come blasting in uh and in the chaos they do get set off uh which means that the city of burrows which is at a low elevation is going to get flooded and they're like, oh, crud, what are we going to do? Like, and so, again, there's a survival thing uh, at the the climax of the second uh, book, but it's actually cool that, and Sax goes, okay, we have enough time, we can actually survive on the surface long enough to get to safety, we can evacuate by foot, you know, there was a the concern that they didn't have enough flyers and everything, um, and of course, all the transnat uh, soldiery has, like, abandoned everyone to their fate, um, but, um, yeah, they cut through the tent and they're actually, they have CO2 scrubbers. So as long as they keep the breathing on, they can go, uh, it's very cold uh, and they've got these things they need to breathe, but they can evacuate everyone from the city, which they successfully do. So it's a great sort of set piece where they're getting out and they all realize that how much, that's what drives home how Mars has changed at this point, that it's almost habitable um, without a spacesuit. So they all, uh, they, they all hike to a station and, and get away and, that's uh that's sort of the climax of the second book. Uh and then the third book is actually them bringing the reds under control because the reds are this like they're the most militant army and and they're the ones who are blowing everything up and shooting everything. So they have to get them they try to bring down the space elevator again. They they actually managed to rein them in and, and stop them from doing that. Um by the way there's a there's a good bit in the second uh in the second book near the climax where they like um, sax actually does unleash uh, a firestorm on one vill- valley you learn he's been upping the oxygen content of the air which they need obviously but it was very high oxygen content and um in so doing um he's made everything more flammable and then this one uh area gets uh torched and he, and it was sort of the headquarters of the metanats and they're like, "Oh my God, you set it on fire! All those people!" And he's like, "Yeah, that's the headquarters of the soldier, the Meninat enforcers." And he kind of like cold because he's always a cold fish, right? He doesn't have a lot of emotion, and he just turns to Anne and he's like, "Yeah, that you know, we're better off without them because these are the people who tortured him, right?" Like, so he kind of becomes a mad scientist super character he becomes at a point you're starting to worry like oh is sacks going to become this super villain basically character but of course you know he's completely sympathetic he's you know he's he's doing what has to be done and it's quite understandable that he would be that way from from what had happened basically
1: sorry this is a um uh a populated area
0: it is a um it is sort of the headquarters of one of the transnat uh locations um okay so it's so, not like
1: a city
0: but there were probably innocent people in that area, too. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's definitely, it's, it's, and I mean, that becomes a point of contention where people are like, oh my God, Sax, but they're like, but yeah, but it's a revolution. It's a war that's happening right now. Like, they're doing much worse. They're like, they they tried to wipe out an entire city full of people, right? Like that, it's, it's a case of like, you know, can you avoid this in war? Um, yeah, it's, so but it's...
1: Uh, I like not quite a, a Hiroshima thing where it's like non-military target and you're just like yeah it's a, a civilian area yeah yeah, it
0: is a, it is a military target uh, but it is definitely played as like oh like that did we go too far <laughs> you know did or did Sachs go too far because he kind of unilaterally decided to do this although he had of course a lot of people who were going to side with him and agree with him but the you know like I say the first hundred are seen as the ideological thought leaders of every, and everything so um you know it's it's credited to him more than anyone else and the and this and, and the 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 story kind of doesn't judge him that much some char- characters do uh but they don't judge him as much and I mean Anne is talks about is seen as saying like oh i'm fine with them wiping out boroughs and they're like well no no that's a city full of people it's like well i, I want to get the people out but i'd like to destroy the city because uh, you know anti terraforming and everything um and then of course the city does get um wiped out and everyone kind of glares at her and she's like well i first of all we didn't set off the bombs so we're not the ones who are responsible for that uh and secondly you know i didn't i said i didn't want to kill the people it was it was a it was a tactical move and you know you know, I've always been very clear on what my position are. So, I mean, there's all these different, uh, attentions and attitudes. Uh, but, um, once they get the, uh, the reds under control, the blue, blue Mars, the third book, and of course with, uh, all these explosions, Mars has now become heavily aquatic. Uh, the liquid, liquid water is now on Mars and, uh, with the genetic engineering and some other stuff, they've started to, uh, uh, it's it's literally a habitable world and they literally turn around and say like okay so we're now going to be the place everyone's going to be coming to including the transnats and he talks about or the metanats because they literally say like the metanats are going to want to come up here now that earth is becoming more of a of a, a dump um and like this is their escape hatch right the same thing we hear about these days right like this is y- you kind of wonder if this is one of these stories that we're People like Musk got their ideas from of like, oh, we'll just hightail it to Mars and live there and be safe from all the chaos that we cause on Earth, right? It and seems it's...
1: A, a little long for him to have read, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he's read some science fiction for sure. Maybe he read somebody summarized it for him or something. Yeah. I... But also, it literally says like, yeah, that's going to be a danger that these rich jerks are going to want to like take off and make it their home planet and let everyone starve and boil and freeze and drown back on earth right and they're like yeah what we're going to do now and like literally when they seize control and send a message to earth they're like we're now an independent mars we're in control uh i want to be very clear we want to help earth and we don't want the metanats to be the ones who are you know controlling the flow of goods to earth we want to help everyone on earth so we're basically metanats get off mars and we'll control it and of course they're not going to do that they're going to fight back um the metanats but um yeah.
1: but uh, th- then again like people uh uh you know the the torment nexus joke uh yeah yeah exactly um yeah like yeah, I, I I wouldn't put past people to read something that's clearly against their ideology, but they take the right. wrong message from it. And, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely like, oh, we could do this. It's like, and it, it, you could almost read it as like, well, in this book, in this story, it, they uh, they de- the, you know the the metanats are defeated, but we could do it, and if now that we've been alerted to this problem, uh, we could be the ones to uh, overcome it, and therefore take over. Uh, earth as a society or whatever um but uh, or take over mars as a society whatever it's kind of like um but but i mean there is a utopian thing in some of these guys like Bezos and uh and he's talked about like loving the culture novels which are very anti-capitalist and very like against everything he stands for i think they might be taking the view of the praxis people of like well we can get through capitalism to this utopian society which is even marxism i mean even marxist marx was like yeah capitalism is going to evolve um, yeah sorry uh, i'm almost done like okay. less than 10 minutes okay, okay, yeah you. no sorry. problem no yeah. it's fine thank you sorry uh just uh communicating yeah. with chris here
1: um yeah, but that, yeah, it, that's that's a thing people um uh sorry what was I um
0: sorry just to finish my thought there yeah Yeah. marx marx like defines capitalism as like it's you're going to evolve through capitalism and then socialism through revolution um they don't seem to like the revolution part but they do seem to be have the idea of like well capitalism can evolve into a more benevolent form right like that that almost seems to be the idea and that's in some ways, that's what happens here because Praxis, the good metanat, sort of evolves into a uh, something that becomes. It's described as a mix of capitalism and socialism, but it's more just like market socialism, I guess. Um, but they they're very the Mars Martians very loudly announce they're going to have free health care. They're going to start exporting all the goods that are needed back to Earth to save everyone, and they will take in people. And in fact, the big crisis of the sa- the third book is. Um, immigration crisis because everyone wants to get to mars at this point and they can only take so many people so they have quotas on immigration um but that is what leads to tension and and frustration and actually it's the reds um once they're defeated their a concession is that they create an environmental court uh that the reds can take a lot of uh sitting seats on um and they they're not fans of immigration either um but uh it it ends up they do work it all out peacefully and and so like in 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 blue mars there's oddly not a lot of uh political conflict other than you know in boardrooms and courtrooms rather than uh violent revolution the Mennonats are kind of their backs are broken by what happens in with the polar ice cap and uh and mars um sort of takes over and becomes the dominant force in the solar system and then eventually goes off into outer space and starts building like they you see them building a uh Inter inter uh, planetary inter inter solar uh, uh, colonization ships and um and uh, and they start to mine the asteroids and everything so like Mars sort of takes over uh, if you've ever seen the exp- or seen or read the Expanse series um uh, I feel like this that that was this very heavily influenced that because in that story Mars is sort of it's 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 a bit of an alt timeline because it talks about how Mars uh is actually Mars is developing in a strong way but then it's uh it's rained back in by uh the uh discovery by the events of the the story but it's almost like Mars was on the same track in that series as well. Uh it's known as the the hyper scientific place where the the best technology comes from and they were starting to become a real like uh, political threat to earth basically. But then they the discoveries that happen in the expanse series kind of interrupt that progress. But this is kind of what happens if you don't have alien involvement basically um but yeah so it's a a really interesting series do you have did sorry do you have any other questions yeah that uh,
1: i'm just curious because as you said there there doesn't seem to be a lot of plot con- considering how many pages these are um <laughs> like yeah. what what's the experience of reading it like what what happens chapter to chapter i, I don't know if this is a yeah well question but yeah. it,
0: it is no uh, yeah, I, I get it. It is very much about the characters thinking about, like, all. It's comp. It's. You keep. Because it's got all these different viewpoints, you get all these different views from the characters going, well, I think Mars is going to be this way, and I've got to build towards this. And there's a combination of the science, uh, especially in the first book. Uh, But also the, like, when it's Sax's point of view, he's very heavy on the science and, oh, this is how Mars is evolving and so on. So there's long, long stretches where he's just talking about the process. He's just describing the processes of what's happening on Mars. But also, like, especially with the coyote, when when it's Nurgle or coyote, you don't get any point of view of coyote, but Nurgle kind of becomes the de facto because he ends up traveling around with coyote. And he's viewing all the different societies and cultures and, like, oh, yeah, we want to do this and we want to we want to create a, like I say, neo-minoan society. We want to create a, um, you know, a, there's he, the, the, um, um, Arab, Arabic and Muslim cultures, uh, come to Mars and like there's Sufis, uh, who, who are pursuing like religious ecstasy on Mars. Um, there's like, yeah, there's Bedouins who basically transport their culture to Mars and he travels with them and he discusses what their what it's like, um, you know, and how their culture is adapted to Mars and their vision of what Mars should be. There's a lot of talk uh, oh, about sorry. what Mars should be, basically. Sorry, go
1: ahead. Sorry, I thought you were... Sorry. Um, I was just... uh, uh reminds me of uh, an aspect of the Hyperion books that we didn't go into, that um, one of the characters is of uh, Palestinian descent, um, and uh, he comes from Mars, which is heavily, um, like, um, Arabic in... in in its mm-hmm. uh, uh makeup um so it, i believe that book said like uh, uh, uh a lot a lot of uh arabic people and middle eastern north african people mm-hmm. um settled on desert worlds yeah uh, so that's yeah there, cool. there's a lot people
0: like to turn mars into yeah like the middle east and even in league make sure gentlemen they make mars they parallel it with the lords of arabia and everything like that yeah um yeah, it's it's always been sort of a well, it's a desert planet, except it's not really. I mean, I mean it is, but it's only in the sense that it's lifeless anyway. But like, uh, yeah. yeah, and it, and I, Robinson clearly hung out with some uh, like Muslims to talk about their culture and stuff yeah. like that. He's, well, he's, I mean,
1: even in like uh, the borough stuff, which is not necessarily Middle Eastern coded, but it still has like minarets and stuff in the cities. And...
0: Yeah, it's it was the go-to of like an exotic culture that was be from space positive and you know there'd be the yellow peril stuff would be the negative version but like it's the kind of they'd often say it's an exotic culture but in this case it's very explicitly like well what would muslims bring to colonizing mars basically um so it's it's yeah it's it's very much a sort of travelogue as it were uh with some with the where the plot er, er, inter, interrupts and like i say it's a political travelogue because there's lots of all these different characters represent different points of view and political ideologies and here's where things would like to to go i mean the series essentially ends with uh ann and sax reconciling and becoming lovers um and understanding you know like they're they're because they they get a new drug that uh helps the memories of these old these people who are getting old you know not physically but mentally they were starting to get old and they have to do something about that so they they find a way to stimulate people's memories and they remember all the times that they were basically Lovers and they'd almost forgotten about it, and they, that's why they were fighting this whole time. Um, so it's it's, but it's like it's it's very much a long argument discuss It's West Wing kind of stuff, right? Like mm. it's arguments about what's the best policy and how are we gonna how are we gonna make things work, and um, and eventually, and when it, it he's very much clear on like when things do come to a head, you lose control. Your your plans do not matter at all <laughs> once things go. Go out to get out of control, but you know the better plan you have, the more likely you are to actually forge something good. If it's just chaos and and as he keeps calling it anarchy, even though anarchy is something different, you know, um, it's going to be it's it, it's going to fail. It's not going to work. It's just going to be chaos and death and and eventually the oppressive forces are just going to come back and crush you but if you if you get a plan and you work together it it can work it's it's very it's very optimistic in that regard it's very uh very positive and uh in some ways relevant to what we're seeing these days you know but so uh,
1: um I, yeah uh i i you were saying uh when you were uh reading these that they're quite long i didn't realize they were 700 pages each yeah um, that's... I mean, it's
0: it's a digital book, so you could argue it's not as long, but like, yeah, they're they're pretty hefty, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I um, how long? I mean, uh, obviously yeah, twenty. This episode's I saw someone away,
0: describe so. it. Yeah, somebody's describing it as twenty three hundred pages. So yeah, it took me quite a long time to read it, and I was reading it pretty heavily, but you know, I read it on the train on the way to work. It's a, anyway, so it's a big commitment to read this whole yeah. series. But and and as I say, like if you are not into sort of speculation. But let's not say it's heavy on the science there is some science stuff but like it's all about like ideas so if you're not into that and you want a zippy action packed story this is not the series for you definitely um there's some good plot stuff i do think it gets interesting at certain points uh especially the second book like where you, you you're you're compelled by the plot it's not that he can't write characters and their motivations and their adventures in ways that engage you but uh it's very heavy on like let's talk about this let's think about this let's discuss what's going to happen and let's discuss what is happening so you know it's 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 very heavy on uh on the speculative part of speculative fiction basically well, it's long past Martian summer, so it's time to be going. We are the remnants of the first hundred, Adam Prosser and Philip Rice, locked in an eternal argument about terraforming. Uh, our producer and engineer was benevolent capitalist Alex Ross, and theme song was by Jack Furick, part of the exciting new Martian musical culture. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps pay for hosting costs and whatnot. And if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's, or what-mad-universe.pinecast.co for the links. You can also follow us on, I guess, Twitter at WMU Podcast, although I'd rather you followed us on Blue Sky at WMU Podcast.BSky.social. Uh, or prankster36 for me or Spear Half-Ock a on X Twitter or spearhafock no a on .bsky for Philip. Yeah, um,
1: I, I haven't it's been a few days since I've even gone on to Twitter, so I'm trying yeah, to, I'm trying to cut
0: it out. We're shutting that down. Yeah, I think we're not going to be on Twitter much anymore. Um, except maybe to just hype this the podcast. Um, and I do want to say um, as well, I uh, do apologize for the lateness of this episode like I say it was a very big a uh, series of books to read and we had to and I had it was my fault I, I took a long time to get through them and different things were happening in my life as well so we apologize uh, but uh, we're gonna have we
1: have, um, uh, uh, some other episodes prepared that, that will be out quicker so
0: yeah yes we'll be going back to our regular schedule after this okay tune in next time Shikaraga and I it cannot be avoided